welcome one and all to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Grab a drink, ladies and gentlemen. It's well earned. For tonight, it's a Labor Day weekend, so feel free. So we're going to go ahead and uh, begin our discussion this evening with confirmation bias. And I'd like to start with a, uh, with a particular quote. It is important to draw wisdom from many different places. If we continue to grab it from one place, it becomes withered and stale. Understanding others and the other nations and the other elements will help you become whole. I know I butchered that quote, so, <laughs> you know, there's that. But the point is, uh, I think everyone can understand confirmation bias is something that placates the schism between ideologies amongst individuals and groups alike. It's one of the most, uh, it's one of the most plaguing, uh, obstacles that comes between, uh, you know, it comes between, uh, coming into a mutual understanding and reconciliation and, you know, uh, coming with coming up with solutions to get because unfortunately it leads to quite a bit of a hefty conflict amongst ourselves so with that being said since we know that confirmation bias often stands between us and you know reconciliation why do we stick to it regardless why do we have the need to stick by our biases when being when it comes to pursuing knowledge when it comes to pursuing truth do we just simply prefer to maintain our biases above all else is our search for knowledge or resolution uh you know, is it planted on false bases? Or is it something that, is it an antiquated, is it an antiquated perspe uh, perspective? Or is it, is it more based on, uh, on instinct? What would you say? I think when you break down the different aspects of where confirmation bias comes from, you have to look at several factors involving individual human development. With regards to a great deal of what we perceive in this world is very much a stack of things that we acquire over time as children. What we're taught by our parents, what we're taught in school, what we perceive around us as a truth of the time. These are the things that ingrain themselves into our minds as we grow as human beings, especially the more formative years. And when you, what ends up happening 
is it creates a specific perspective in any given person that gives them the motivation and the viewpoints necessary for them to survive and thrive in the world for their own individual part of reality. How successful that is obviously is determined by how, you know, how learned that person ends up being in wherever direction they're going. But with regards to their perspectives, it's much more ironclad in that regard. And especially as they get older and they absorb more information through the lens that they have created for themselves through development, it's very difficult to move and change those perspectives in individual people. Now, when you go into more of a sociological viewpoint and you start talking about groups of people, well, it's even more ironclad. It's almost wrought steel at that point because you have cultural norms, morals, and folklore that shapes how a person thinks based on their own culture. And it creates, it, it's built into the tribalistic nature of, in, of how we've developed as humans. And it, it's gone to a large extreme based on, the, based on those cultural specifics. A good example of that would be a lot of, uh, a lot of folklore and uh, rules around food. Like Italians have so many different rules about what you can do with the, with food in their paradigm that if you're unaware of them, you are may you may just stumble upon them on accident. Needless to say, you would never see a pure-blooded Italian eating a fillet of fish. Really? Yes. You cannot have cheese on fish. I didn't even know people put cheese on fish. Fillet of fish has cheese on it. I never knew that. That's it's pretty tasty. Much to the chagrin of, of of the Italian culture. Did you know that spaghetti and meatballs is actually abhorrence to mainland Italy? They're supposed to be separate. You can't eat them together. They're two different meals. Well, it's a that's that's rather a shame because if okay, if I'm supposed to and this is probably me being completely culturally ignorant, and if I am so I apologize. But uh I used to know I used to I learned that uh the the way they do the restaurants in Italy is that it's in the style of all you can eat buffets, but they don't consider it that. It's, it's called family style. Yeah, that's it's, that's really all they do. It's, there are several restaurants in America that cover that that are franchises. There's called Buca di Beppo and Maggiano's, and they literally just bring out bowls of pasta and bowls of meats and everything, and you basically just eat from it together because that's how the Italian table was. You had a bunch of food, people grabbed a plate, and they filled their plate. Yeah, I kind of wish I was part Italian to be able to, you know embrace that as part of my cultural heritage but no it's only my spiritual cultural heritage because that's something that i would love to partake in but what are you talking about i've been to a couple of different uh, different latin parties that basically had the same format but it was more buffet style much less family table style but i never walked away empty empty stomached best fucking homemade food i've ever goddamn had pardon my (laughs) french but it's just when it comes to that kind of stuff 
when you when you have family culture like that, it definitely is something that is very unique, and it's very something that I cherish because when it comes to any family setting that has food involved in it, it's very much a nobody should walk away walk away with empty stomachs. And it gets even worse when you get to get to the more Eastern European lands because then you start getting much more heavy into starch. <laughs> it gets it's pretty hectic, but I mean we're kind of off on a tangent, but it's it's all it all ties into the concept of of cultural biases as well because again culinary bias is another thing that does happen. There are rules that's may that may be broken within those contexts because people just aren't aware of them. And it gets to the point where it starts to color the way you deal with people outside of your heritage as well, even if it's unconscious. So when you have a situation that's a bit more generalized, say something much more political or something that's a bit more socioeconomic, your brain will always default to the things that made you who you are. Okay. And if you have a larger larger, uh, uh, cross-section of a population that thinks that way... It gets much more. Um, they're, 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 they tend to take a much more defensive stance to those sort of things, because it feels like you are being attacked at the core of who you are because you because it's something that goes against the way you think and your biases. So, and some people just never overcome that. So, as we are speaking about with cultural biases, uh, since. Since we are making that uh, that little that comparison, there is the ta- uh, I would say taboo of what's known as stereotyping because that is to an affront uh, a collection of biases of inform uh, informations of certain behaviors of groups and cultures all around the world. It just depends on the perspective and the intent from that particular person is where the is where the offense and the potency may lie um the only reason i bring it up is because uh it is often seen in a far more in far more negative light it's i mean to be fair there's lots of very terrible negative stereotypes out there but one of the things that humans naturally do is that they gather uh, information uh, from from people from individuals, and they tend to link patterns and but uh, between behaviors and thoughts, ideologies, and all that stuff uh, um, amongst uh, co- that have a common traits with one another, and therefore create a at least a general makeup of knowledge around them. Uh, for example, like we just discussed on Italians, for instance, they have while not every not every single Italian obviously is going to fit that particular uh, th- those particular set of traits. More than, they often do, at least they are known for the those sorts of traits. Well, I mean, if you're going back to the concept of pattern recognition as a human as a human construct, I at least as far as public uh, public 
perception of such things has become much more negative, even on positive stereotyping, because they're looking at it as they're looking at stereotyping as a as a whole as a, as a as a whole abstract and viewing it as a negative effect of human categorization. Of course, and the reason for that is because on the general when you make such generalizations. It's it can be appeared as if though you're being racist because that's the whole grounds of prejudice, and the problem with that is that it's one of the, um, it's one of the easiest ways that humans can analyze amongst each other about that sort of information. Now it's not something that we're supposed to like uh, let it dominate us, of course, because it's not something that it's not something that we should be doing. It's not something we should be doing it to a detriment, but simply eliminating it altogether is also foolhardy, because while and this is this is us this is me we're talking about here, and I'm sure you agree that you know the individual is the greatest minority of all, right? Like you shouldn't judge an individual wholly say wholesale on the on characteristics of of their culture and their culture and heritage doesn't mean that there aren't certain things about them that might potentially reflect upon them. And it's not, so, it's not something that you sh being unable to relate to a person on even the most basic of levels because you can't in, because you are afraid to make even, even the most basic, basic of analyses in my opinion, is a very, very foolhardy, if not uh, stupid, for the lack of word, just uh, move to make, if you ask me. I think at the end of the day, what you bring to the table when it comes to analysis is what you vocalize. As far as anybody's concerned, you can think whatever you want and make analysis based on those things. It's when you articulate those to another person or the person that you are you're analyzing is where you may where you run into the 50/50 shot of it potentially becoming problematic for them or for you. My stance on those sort of things have always been the rapport that you have with the person that you are talking to should always be at a baseline comfort level that both that both people can walk away feeling like there there's nothing lost in the in, in the transaction. And my personal my personal way that I talk with people that I don't know very well is very ambiguous because I don't know enough about them to make an analysis one way or another. Once I have a general understanding of who I'm talking to and their proclivities it's much simpler for me to be able to make make basises on those sort of things. And I always leave that as queries. I don't make a general assumption. I ask questions. I'm always asking questions when it comes to those things because I want to ensure that I have all the information necessary for me to be able to interact with this person in a favorable way to them. Would that be considered a bias, though? Not at all. A bias is in, is in one direction or another. I personally don't want to have a bias, and within so, I don't allow myself to pick one direction or another. Okay, so when you are making the effort to at least, uh, when you're making the effort to at the very least try to understand 
the uh, the person or the information as much as possible without leaving with leaving little to no error, uh, little room to error. Uh, you are essentially making your making your bias as neutral as can be. Yes, because I want them. And I think this comes from my personal philosophy on people. I don't want them to feel as though they have anything to prove to me. But in also, I want them to set the ground rules for how I am interacting with them. Because otherwise I see no reason to continue a conversation with somebody until I'm aware of how they wish to talk to me. Okay, so, and that's fair, but you could make the argument that even that particular perspective is considered a bias. Sure. A personal one, but mm -hmm. a bias no less. I agree. If you were going from that perspective of, well, you're intentionally leaving yourself neutral and open till, till you can create... Until you are aware of what the what the rules of the of of the conversation or rules of engagement are, sure. But then my bias is one of neutrality. I don't want to have a situation where discomfort is a is the is ultimately what is gained or lost. I guess at this point, in in in, in, in a verbal transaction with somebody, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. You are having a transaction with this person, either either an exchange of ideas, exchange of inform exchange of information, or exchange of pleasantries. All of those things are transactions in and of themselves. Sometimes you're just chewing the fat. It's still an exchange of pleasantries. You are still getting and giving something back and forth. By my perspective, some people may have different perspectives on how conversations are run or how those interactions are set. And one of the major things that I've always stated, and there's such a taboo on this lately, and, and has been for a good five or ten years, is I will not attach a culture to somebody until they present a culture to me. Because I don't know enough about you, I don't want to make an assumption. And it has nothing to do with stepping on people's toes. It's, I always go into a, a conversation blank slate. I don't know anything about you. You know nothing about me. And we're both going into this with goodwill assumed on, our, on both of our ends. Obviously, once you realize what a person's true motive is, or at least a general idea of it, you can make your own analysis of how you can pre present, or proceed with the conversation or end it. If they're not being genuine in a way that you feel like you can actually adhere to a conversation with, then you can always disengage. That's one of the things that I think people don't understand about the, about conversation. And it's one of the major hangups for a lot of people who have social anxiety is there they, feels like this quantum entanglement scenario where they have to interact with people for a certain amount of time. Or else or else there's a or else something goes off in their head that bad things are going to occur. And I think once you get past that view, that viewpoint and that hang up, if you can, you understand that human interaction is always a push and pull scenario. Well, yeah, because it's between two individuals, at least two individuals, and each one of them it, it, what subconsciously, they're going to be vying for dominance in one sort of one, some sort of way or another. That's kind of the 
it's kind of inevitable given two in two creatures uh being in a, in a state of uh perpetual competition to a point but i think what ends up happening is once you've diffused that men, that, that that dominance mentality and you've created a scenario where someone is much more comfortable that that vying falls away a, a little bit depending on the person you're talking to personality traits notwithstanding people are going to make whatever going to handle conversations in whatever way they're going to Every, everybody does so in their own way i think personally when it comes to tackling new ideas one should be as neutral as humanly possible within the within the constraints of their own perce- personal perceptions. Because perceptions are what create the biases that we have that end up coloring the way that we view things. Do they? Because as we've discussed earlier on how biases tend to form, they clearly start from an early age. The, t- the child does not know what to look to because the, chi- the, the child is uneducated and is unable to form their own biases on with the lone exception of their own selfish tendencies due to, you know, their own inst- their own instinct for the drive of survival. So, as they grow and as they mature, their environment and, educa- and education provided to them uh, slowly starts to form and shape, shape and form. And it is reinforced, and they themselves will eventually either reject or reinforce that particular bias until they reach of adult age, or in this particular case, uh, they will, you know, probably spam out prematurely and uh, uh, test it out in uh, unknown waters via the internet. I think that's one of the major headaches for 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 that as well is the, the social media and the internet have uh, allowed for much less structured testing of a great deal of sociological experiments official or otherwise and you have people who have done a a great deal with anonymity in that paradigm doing some horrendous things to see what happens one of the major things that I've always talked with other people about and it, it, it depends on the generation of the person you're talking about or the age I guess if you want to avoid generational theory if you have a certain respect for other people and a level of politeness built into who you are, you will not talk to other people online in, in, in any derogatory manner unless they attack you. Because your viewpoint of the internet is you, it is an extension of who you are, so in and of that you must be as polite as you would be in real life in the internet. Depending on how young you are, that 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 viewpoint shifts because it doesn't you find out eventually that unless somebody is actively looking to find you and do you harm you can pretty much stretch those boundaries until they scream in some cases as long as you have the power of anonymity in your in your back pocket no. doesn't always work that way and it shouldn't work that way there's usually a cause and there's usually cause and effect and there's action and reaction for everything done trust me if you said something to someone's face that was disrespectful you're you're going to have some kind of retribution be it verbal or physical 
Now, I know you mentioned about generational gap theory, and I'm not even so sure anymore that it's that it's a theory. In my in my personal opinion, it is an evolution of the class theory because it's basically on the similar lines and similar aspects of things. The only difference is instead of it being divided by generations, it's divided by classes. True, because it's something that you we've seen. It is something that has been essentially relevant. Something that's that's happened on a similar basis several hundred years prior. The only difference between that and today is the advancement of the technology and the uh, the exposure that the world has with itself, thanks to that technology. Well, if you look at it from a general standpoint, it's just another level of categorization. You have categorization by generation, categorization by class, categorization by race, categorization by region, categorization by political affiliation, categorization by sexuality. These are all different aspects that we use as human beings to archive and categorize everything around us. It's built into the framework of who we are, and... One of the major headaches is for a lot of people who find that to be either distasteful or disrespectful is they're not really allowing for any particular alternative that gives the people around them a positive way to interact with them. It makes it so that there always has to be an antagonistic or abrasive interaction because there is no way for a, for a layman to be able to talk to these people in in any civil manner because they always will stumble on something that will be viewed as disrespectful or bigoted or biased in some way that they can never overcome. It's perpetually create it's perpetually creating artificial stumbling blocks for other people for whatever whatever perceived goal that they that they the recipient is trying to uh, trying to foster. Mm-hmm. And it's disrespectful in polite company because if they're people you care about and you're intentionally making them do things that would make you unhappy, then that sounds like a psychological problem to me. Why you would want somebody to intentionally make you feel bad is absolutely baffling. Not to mention you're creating, you're you're straining bonds that you've had in place probably for years prior. Isn't that the whole concept of the victimhood theory, though? It is, and that's and and I'm taking a general stance to it, uh-huh. so that it doesn't. I'm not coloring it in that in that light, but that's exactly that would what be it is. that would be my see that would be my particular uh, bias right there. You you could already see at that particular point how it affected my particular perception of the knowledge that you're uh, emulating at this particular point. That would be my that would be my particular take. You were trying to take it on a neutral stance. My, I could not help but perceive it and see it as as such. And maybe perhaps that my uh conc- my drawing that conclusion may not have been correct to do so. Yes, and yes or no. I'm not. I can't confirm or deny that because it's your own perspective. But I don't disagree with your assessment because it's part and parcel to that particular mentality. In some cases, 
if you look at it on a psychological level, it's inge- it's engendering a artificial stressor that that person now must interact with. They're using it as a way to create conflict that they believe can be used as a way to make them a better person. The problem is, is when you use your family as the as the the guinea pigs for these particular experiments, you find yourself in a situation where you start losing connections doing so. And if that doesn't bother you, which in a lot of cases it doesn't bother many people because they continue to do it, you'll find yourself very alone at the end of all things. At least as far as I would be able to say. But some people, they don't care. And, and and maybe it's an extension of the need to sever old connections. Maybe this is their way of out with the old, in with the new. They're trying to divorce themselves from their blood family so that they may create a family structure of their own to replace it. Or maybe they are or already have something similar, and this is a way to cut ties with the previous form- formatting in their lives. I think that's a very. I think there is uh, good intention with that kind of thought process. The problem is, is that it is an ultimately flawed level of thinking, especially when you have the naivety to assume that you are the new. And the problem is, is that you are only new temporarily. With that. Like everything in the like everything else in life, everything is is in through rotation. As you, you know, as you get older, you will eventually no longer be the young and the the young and the spry, but instead you will become part of the old vanguard, the very same vanguard you despised. Yeah, and eventually you will be despised by the new, by the you by the new young and spry. That came, that came just after you. Mm-hmm. It's a perpetual cycle of uh, of needless destruction of the old guard just because they're old. I get it that some of their ideas are antiquated, but not everything is. A lot of them are structurally sound with the with many with some of them even being the very foundation that holds the society together and if you're thinking that it's not necess- necessary to keep those around and you somehow believe that destroying it is going to be worth it you are going to see just how poorly mistaken how horribly mistaken you are because you're only speaking so through a comfortable position that you have no, that you are un, yet to realize that you're in. Sure, but looking at it as as an unnecessary perspective, an unnecessary change, I think is short sighted. Every generation that comes after the previous will always change and move things around as they see fit to the necessity that they believe is is driven in in their iteration of society. Of course. It's just going to happen that way. It's the it's the it's the constant move for change. What you have going forward with things is depending on the 
primary generation that is in that that is exerting control over the paradigm you have a specific level of pushback from the generation after as they are starting to develop into a mindset of an of, a, of an adult or a young adult where they are realizing that what's in what, what is in their way is an obstacle to their betterment or an obstacle to the betterment of the society that they are that they want to live in and again it's trial and error with a lot of things regardless and mm-hmm. i don't view a great deal of the change that is being fostered in most cases as good but i'm also not oh, unaware that my perspective is colored by time i'm older and it makes me have a different viewpoint than the people who are in front of me and that's or, or i guess behind me at this point on the diving board. And that's it just is what it is. Now, perspective-wise, you are a bit younger than I am. So your perspective on things is much more grounded in a more youthful viewpoint, at least as far as I as much as I reckon such things. You being 10 years my my junior definitely makes things it makes it so that you have a specific viewpoint on how things are rolling forward because you're watching it play out in front of you and the people who you are who are around you or that you interact with are much younger than people that I would intend to interact with unless I'm going out of my way to do so for whatever reason. Yeah. The way that it's structured, the way I'm seeing it is that the younger generation is the generation of change, the generation of revolution when the older generation can be considered the the generation of refinement. Because it's the two gears that work together. The younger generation introduces the new ideas and the older generation either uh, either rejects the ones that are broken or refines the ones that can work. As long as those, as long as those mechanics are in place. It also depends on the, how the generations interact and digest new, new concepts. Your age will always determine how you interact with technology as an example. Yeah. Depending on how old you are and where you stepped into technology, will color your perspective. It also depends on how long you were dealing with that technology. If you're a person who started dealing with computers in the '70s and you continue to deal with them up until you know you're in your '70s or '80s, which means you're in the 2000s or 2010s, 2020s, if you made it that far, you're not going to be bothered by the different changes because you'll always be there while they change. You actively are doing so, but. And you also have the knowledge of knowing where all of those roots started because you were there when they were being created, at least as far as consumers are concerned. A person who jumps in earlier, or later I guess would be the better word, like when PCs became prevalent or when the internet became uh, became integral, started to become integral to society, your perspective will be different on how these things should be digested. As somebody who has worked with older people in technology, training them in ways to use email, how to deal with um, computer transactions for customers, dealing with follow-ups, following on information, it's very... It always has to do with how engrossed you are in that technology. And... 
on the trainer's point, how easy it is you're making it to digest for that person. Because let's be honest, you can inundate someone to the point where they just say, I'm not doing it. I know people, I used to work with people who did not have an email address Mm -hmm. and refused to get one. And told me flat out that they never were. And I can't argue with that. You're making a personal choice. And I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Now, the company you work for makes that decision. The people above me who are who who have tasked me to destroy your biases in one way or another or modify them, they will not think the same way. I respect your choice. Your manager's not going to. Your manager has a specific level of criteria that you need to match up to. And if you cannot, well, that's on you. I think that might be a particular... I think that particular situation would be something we can discuss later down the line. Oh, yeah. Would oh, yeah. It, The rights of one and how is how, how are they are to be respected compared to what people think they should be respected. But that's beside the point. Anyway, um, I... I was going to say, like, that, I don't know how that one, that particular scenario has much to do with, uh, with confirmation bias. But... Oh, it does. Because if your age will dictate how you interact with everything around you. Okay. If you're too old, if you believe you're too old to be able to integrate with new technology, that's a confirmation bias. Because you don't believe that you need to interact with it in that particular level and that the world should bend to your viewpoint and work around your your handicap okay so yeah it's a it's a confirmation bias it's just it's not nearly as concrete as or something like taking information and deciding whether or not you want to integrate it into your personal beliefs yeah or into your philosophy or into your political stances now the, the one of the major headaches for me when it comes to because swinging back to the general idea because we've kind of gone all over the place which is fine but getting back to the actual concept of confirmation bias when it comes to media I think we go back to what we were talking about before how your parents taught you what you retained of that teaching if you rejected it at any given point the things that you brought up earlier are absolutely correct when it comes to overcoming them, it's much more, on an individual basis, it's much more challenging. There are factors that will always get in the way of how a person will overcome their confirmation bias. If they were taught, either by life, life experiences or through academia, to always go to different wells for information, that will always overcome confirmation bias. If they grew up with varying perspectives in front of them and were allowed to flourish around them, that will overcome confirmation bias because they will have a eclectic viewpoint of how things happen and they will want to absorb as much information before making a concrete decision on something. And the other thing will be choice. At the end of the day, you have to make the decision to open yourself up to new ideas. The things that stop that will always be fear of the unknown, because anything new is considered an unknown. Of course. And if you're afraid of these things, you're going to fight against them with all of your might, purely because of instinct. 
Yep. If it's something new and you aren't aware of what it can do to you, you're not going to allow it to to come to fruition in 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 yours in your pool of information. It you're just not going to. You have to fight the fight that part of yourself that that prevents you from doing those things. Yeah, you're essentially fighting against your better instinct to uh to to embrace the new information or at least be open to new information where now granted you may have a faulty instinct on that one because you can indeed be wrong when it comes to your when when it comes to when it comes to information but that's why you have to make that call for yourself and not necessarily not necessarily lean one way or the other on that particular matter. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to larger groups, especially in cultural centers, the confirmation biases that are in place there are much more difficult to overcome because they are generally integrated in a way that is considered a best practice within that cultural institution. So it's something that you, it, it, it be, it's something that would go against tradition. Okay. And that's one of the major headaches for a lot of people with regards to integrating new ideas into specific um, uh, cultural communities. Because things are ingrained so heavily, it's much more difficult to be able to modify a lot of the practices that are in play in those communities to be able to create a scenario of greater prosperity within that community. Because simply put, at least when in regards to that community, those ideas work. Right. But what ends up happening is if they're unaware of the regional or the regional situation that they're in, some of the things that they believe work may not work in the region that they find themselves in if it's not their home region, transplant situations, the melting pot of the United States, some things just don't work in one place than it does when you move to another. What those things are, are varied. I'm not going to make examples because I think that would be different for every person who may have a different her- a different cultural viewpoint. But that's the point, isn't it? But if you look at something simple, if you want to get, if you do want an example, um, Arranged marriages, dowry, those things, those don't translate over well in, in, in American society because we have a very specific viewpoint in America uh, about individual freedoms. You're absolutely right. But then you also have things like polyamory, which at one point was completely was completely unheard of in the U.S. and is becoming and it's growing as a result, becoming more and more open to Americans as this becomes more as it becomes integrated into the discussion. The problem I feel with and, and this is someone this is coming from someone who's talked with someone who is polyamorous. The problem I feel with polyamory is there is no feasible way that someone doesn't walk away with the short end of the stick in that transaction. Okay, and that's fair. And that's but... why I think it, in and of itself, it's something that dies out, dies in the vine because of that. But couldn't you also make that argument with monogamous relationships? Especially if you look at both sides of the coin. Let's 
let's take an example if there are chances that the one partner is going to be just flat out screwed, especially when it comes to the court system. Especially if that particular partner is a male. Let's say if children are involved. It's often in the U.S. US court systems, uh, the they slant far more towards the mother. They are more favorable to them than it comes to the father. And they end up essentially burned on a far more common basis than the than than the than the ex-wife slash mother. Now, I'm happy to report that this is starting to change little by little. I mean, slowly, but it's starting to change. So it's not being quite as severe as it used to be, but the change at the particular moment is rather minor. So you can. You can understand that, at the very least, when it comes to monogamous relationships, in particular marriage, as in particular as well, heterosexual marriages, uh, it's not very favorable to one side over the other. The risk is that much greater, and it's also why there is such a there's such a high divorce rate, despite despite. Uh, well, despite the fact that, at the very least, it's only between two people and not necessarily more. I think when you get down to <clears throat> um, brass tacks, it's uh, the number of... The, there are several factors with regards to the failure of monogamy as a construct. And I'm this is someone who doesn't think monogamy is a failing construct. This is something that is the failings of the construct. That's fair. Monogamy is something that is difficult to ingrain in a younger generation who has their life in front of them. And I personally view that as something that is the the concept of the wild years, your your time between 17 and we'll say 28. It's I'm sure there's an actual statistical timeline but this is probably the correct time because by 29 30 you start to level off in the way you think of things unless you're just a party animal throughout your entirety of your existence and if you are good on you but for most most layman people most of your normal normal individuals you have your wild years in front of you where you do a lot of the silly stuff that you would do dating around if that's if that's your idiom you try to do things that are much more off the cuff because you have a certain level of invulnerability that you believe that you have. It's not until you start to realize that you have many more, many more check engine lights on than you normally would that you start to pull back on that sort of lifestyle. Okay. One of the major things is a lot of people jump headlong into, into monogamy as a way to ground themselves when they feel they need some level of stability in their life not realizing that they would need to stabilize themselves prior to an actual relationship like that. That's fair. Two, the understand the, the there there is a certain level of detachment when it comes to relationships where people do not feel they need to go out of their way to actually work on a relationship. Anybody who has more than a few decades under their belt married will tell you that marriage is a perpetual workpiece. It is never 
truly perfect until it is over. As in death. Fair enough. And one of the things is that when it, when it, their communication is always a problem. Younger people have a lot more difficulty communicating their feelings and articulating how they feel to someone else because they don't want, they only want to be able to articulate. They do not want to be articulated to because they only want the things around them to change. They don't want to change themselves. Well, of course. It's, That's, isn't that it's ironic? The, it's the selfishness of youth. Yeah. Isn't that ironic, though? Especially when it comes to the fact that statistically shown, younger people are are getting more therapy more than any other generation prior. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. But in that in in, in that con but in that concept, that's actually a good thing. One of the major headaches that that I have as somebody it who's just, never really gone to any kind of psychological um therapy themselves is hard knock you know the hard knock life way of learning to cope with your own problems is much more painful to be able to get to that point where you're a whole person than going to somebody who can actually sit down with you and articulate a great deal of what you might have problems with and allowing you to be able to, you know, generate these things to this person and let them be able to make a better, greater analysis of something that you may not be able to do. Oh, absolutely, and I agree. On paper. Sure, because if we are to if we are to see the results of it, we're not seeing that. We're not we're, we're in any in any case we're probably seeing the complete opposite, <laughs> and that's what leaves it to be so surprising to me. One of the major headaches that could be because of that, or maybe we're is, just looking at people that aren't actually you know going to therapy, or because I don't, or maybe they haven't gone to the correct therapy. Or maybe they haven't gone to as many of the treatments as they were supposed to. They probably went to a specific amount of them. There's a bunch of different factors that could come into play there. And I don't want to make assumptions. Maybe, they're, maybe their actual therapist thinks that this is the way that they need to go about doing things so that they can cope with their situation. As destructive as that may be, or, or as d developmental as that may be. It's not for us to decide, especially when you have ther therapies that are tailored to an individual person and their needs. As there's no, there while there are broad brushes in psychology, how those broad brushes are swiped at individual people are much more customized than one gives them credit for. When, especially as somebody who has had had somebody in their life who has psychological training to an extent or another where they are aware of these sort of things the, the stories that this person has told me about developmental capabilities how people cope with with stressful situations how people overcome trauma in different ways these are some things that are very intriguing to me as far as a, a, a study is concerned and i think when it comes down to it, can there be situations where a person is just given terrible ideas? Yeah, they may just be at a bad, may be with a bad therapist. Or it may also be confirmation bias. The person is telling them something and they're perceiving it in a way that they believe is one way when it's clearly another way. And because of this, they are taking the therapy they're given 
and running it in a completely different direction than's probably being instructed them to. Okay. It can happen. So if we've seen so far the effects of confirmation bias from life-altering decisions to affecting others to uh, essentially suppressing or uh, or overusing information to an extent. So with that being said, just what exactly does confirmation bias do for people as a whole? It's a defensive mechanism. It's a way to it's a way to cushion the blow of difficult information into your worldview or to ignore it. Because in a lot of cases, if it's something that doesn't agree with your worldview, it's easy enough to dispel it. It's a level of it's a level of ignoring. It's a, it's ignorance. But it's, a, it's shaped ignorance. It's not a general, I don't know what's happening. It's, I, have, I know this is occurring, but I refuse, to, I refuse to let it color my reality in one way or another. And usually to the detriment of the person who's doing it. Well, that's the question I was going to say. What happens when confirmation bias becomes detrimental to the person who applies it? Well, it- there's a degradation then. The person starts further getting more diluted in what they're doing, believing that what they're doing is ultimately correct. And and we've seen that with the individual, and I think we're starting to see that with groups as well. Sure, and then what will end up happening is, however long it's going to take, they will find that they're they will find that the the methods in which that they are exercising their their philosophy and their political stances don't agree with the greater reality that they live in and what you end up seeing is a is a pushback by consensual reality to those viewpoints so one if they'll either have to stop what they're doing and conform to the society that they're part of or they will have to find a a realm of of society that's much more sparse that they can develop their belief structure in a way that doesn't conflict with the greater regions that they were existing in in the first place communes Areas where they can they can be the people and exercise the beliefs that they want to, which, in a lot of cases, depending on where they're looking, they can probably find regions where they can do that. That's a lot of effort to just try and maintain your own bias rather than adapt to try and you know update your bias. Some people need to learn the hard way. And when it comes to situations like that, you can only lie to yourself so many times. Human delusion is pretty expansive, but eventually the cold hard reality of it hits you. How it hits you is always going to be unique to the person who is deluding themselves for so long. I guess that can't be. I guess I can't be surprised. After all, the biggest confirmation bias we have is on the concept of death, and let's face it. We find all sorts of ways to try either to deny or delude ourselves of our own mortality. Yeah. That in itself is the greatest confirmation bias in the world. When you yourself convince yourself that you don't have mortality as a constant companion, 
you are de- you are denying yourself a greater understanding of who you are as a person in the world that you live in, yeah. and it makes you much more narrow minded in and of itself because you're so afraid of the new, of the new and foreign things that are around you that you will go to any length to ensure that it never affects you. So it's a fear response in some cases, and in more ca- more cases than not, because when you're given a so- social structure that is anathema to the greater social stru- the social the greater social environment that you're a part of. Your belief is that your way is correct in the face of a large consensus of people who do disagree with you. And again, some people have that David and Goliath mentality that they want to be able to view. That they're overcoming some greater evil when when, when all it's actually happening is they are trying to inject something that does not work in the structure that is, that is already fortified with something that's much more effective. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think with that being said, I think we can go ahead and wrap this up. We've done, we've gone through quite a bit this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for tuning in. We greatly appreciate any patronage, and just listening is a, uh, it's a great motivator to us both. So, with that being said. Thank you for joining us this evening. Join us next week when we have a brand new uh, topic ready for you. Good to go. And uh, do feel free. Do feel free to bring your drink, or you know, just be ready to have one on you. Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us. uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar, if you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions. We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read during the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be re- uh, to be listened to. Um any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends. <laughs>